We are in the heart of summer, and so for many of us, the pace of life has become a little less crazy. But in today's world, that might not be saying much. Even with the forced reduction in our schedules brought about by COVID, we are a people who live very busy lives. In fact, busyness has become the default response when you ask anyone how they're doing. How are you? I'm busy, so busy, crazy busy. I have a friend who suggests that it would be much more honest if every time we were, were tempted to answer this question with the word busy, we substitute the word important. <laughs> How are you? I'm important, so important, crazy important. <laughs> we laugh because we know this is closer to the truth. Our talking about how busy we are is pretty clearly a boast disguised as a complaint. We wear our busyness like a badge of honor, checking our phones while simultaneously complaining about how impossible it is to disconnect. So today's gospel passage is a much needed reminder of how far, even with the best of intentions, our lives can get from God's priorities for us. Jesus has, for the first time, sent the disciples out two by two to proclaim the gospel and to heal. And they do just what any of us, talented, driven, accomplished folk would do. They take that ball and they run with it. They return from their first big assignment and they are pouring out their stories to Jesus, telling him about all of the success of their mission. They are excited and proud they have caught the bug. It appears the disciples want to keep going while they are on a roll, for we're told that even after they returned, they were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. And in the midst of this frenetic pace, Jesus sees the need for self-care. And he says, come away to a deserted place all by yourself and rest a while. Rest is a big concept in scripture. When Moses became weary leading God's people, God tells him, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Jesus tells his disciples, come to me all who are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Jesus who knows all and can do all, does not give us coping strategies or stress management techniques to try and improve our efficiency. No, instead he offers us rest. Jesus had a rhythm to his life. He would heal and then he would go off to a quiet place to pray. He would teach and then he would go off to a quiet place to pray. Jesus didn't heal everyone who was in need of healing. And he didn't preach the gospel to everyone who needed to hear it. He didn't say to God the Father, hey, I'm gonna need more than the three-year ministry to meet my goals. There's a lot of work to do here, really much more than you let on in our initial job interview. And so I'd like you to give me a little more time before you call me home. I think we can all agree that Jesus' work is more important than anything we are doing with our days. And yet he didn't skip vacations or forego sleep to cram in as much good work as he could before his time was up. 
Even though as God, this is something that he certainly could have chosen to do. Jesus didn't leave someone in charge while he was off praying with God. He didn't check his emails or forward his calls. He had a rhythm to his life. And rest was an important part of that rhythm. This rhythm is baked right into creation. The very first story in scripture, the one that sets the tone for all the stories that will follow is the story of God creating. God creates on each day only that which is appointed for that day. There's a comfortable rhythm to God's creative work. He even takes time at the end of each day to admire his work. And when after six days of creating, God is finished, we are told, God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all the work that he had done in creation. The first thing that God declares holy is not a place, but a time, a time of rest. This call to rest, to keep Sabbath, is so important that it makes God's top 10 list. As you know, we're in the middle of a sermon series on the 10 commandments in the contemporary service at 11. Now, I want you to notice something. Here are some of the commandments that God gives us in Exodus 20. You shall not commit adultery. Five words. You shall not murder. Four words. Here's a commandment about rest that God gives us. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work. You, your son or your daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock, or the alien resident in your towns. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them but rested the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. 89 words. Oh, my stars. God uses only four words to tell us about murder, but he takes 89 words to talk to us about Sabbath rest. So what does this tell us? Well, first it tells us that God is serious about us taking Sabbath rest. And second, it tells us that he knew we would try and squirm our way out of keeping this commandment. Think about it. In legal documents and tax codes and legislative bills, the more loopholes and exceptions and disagreement of terms there are likely to be, the longer the document. God gives us this long commandment and he is saying, I know you're going to try and get out of this one. I know you're going to try and find loopholes. You might even try and act like not keeping this commandment is actually a way of serving me. But I'm here to tell you that won't fly. God knows what we seem to have trouble acknowledging for ourselves, that we need the balance of work and rest, of work and play if we are to be healthy, if we are to flourish, which is God's intention for us. So if we're convinced that scripture and the example of Jesus call us to rest, 
Why do we fight so hard against it? Why do we have so many good excuses for why we aren't doing it? In the modern economic climate, it's easy to believe that if we prioritize rest, we will fall behind and might jeopardize our employment or our vocation. Many of us know all too well how hard the job market can be and how long it can take to find a position. This is not an insignificant aspect of our struggle with rest. Yet I could give you statistics from study after study after study that show that you will actually be a healthier, more creative, more productive employee if you are able to prioritize rest. But the economic environment aside, if we are honest, we will admit that sometimes we are afraid to rest. Sometimes our busyness masks a fear of resting in God's presence and the presence of our own thoughts. When I teach the seven deadly sins, most folks can self-identify that they struggle with greed or pride or envy. But I almost never have folks that think they struggle with sloth. How can we who are so busy all the time be slothful? But our unremitting activity can be a way for us to check out of life. Instead of using booze or sex or food or TV, we anesthetize with activity. If we're always running our kids to practice or volunteering at the school or working long hours, we don't have to sit quietly with God and lay bare what rises in our thoughts and in our hearts. If we keep really busy, we don't have to deal with our pain or our emptiness or our sadness. The space and quiet that rest provides is necessary if we are to stand back from our life and see it whole. If we hope to make unexpected connections and experience the lightning bolt of inspiration, rest helps us to stay centered so that when we come to the big events in our lives or must make difficult decisions, we can do so from a place of being grounded in our calling and our life's purpose. Most of us are concerned that the world is becoming more selfish more unkind, that there's no common civility. Yet the values that keep us from deteriorating to this point are qualities that require time. Honesty, courage, kindness, civility, wisdom, compassion. These can only be nourished in the soil of time and attention. Our core values, the deepest part of who we are, require rest. If we move and move and move, the kingdom of God can never catch up to us. It's only when we stop and rest that we can enter that space that God has prepared for us. I have a clergy acquaintance that tells the story of their son, Sam. Sam became their son through an international adoption, which entailed some bureaucratic requirements that meant that Sam had to be kept in a group home in his birth country for the first six months of his life. 
And when Sam finally came to live with them, they noticed that he showed some signs of distress from that first six months. And one of the things they noticed is that Sam wouldn't allow himself to lay his head on their shoulder when they were carrying him. He would stiffen his back and hold his upper body taut and maintain this distance between him and his parent. It was as if he was saying, I'm not really sure I can trust you to be here for me, so I'm going to protect myself. This went on for many months, and they wondered if Sam would ever be able to change. And when Sam was just over a year old, they took him on a family vacation on an airplane. And as the plane took off and began to gain altitude, Sam looked at his mother. And then for the very first time, he leaned forward and he rested his head on her shoulder. And so my question for you is, how are you holding yourself apart from God, intent on protecting yourself? How are you not trusting that your parent wants to love and care for you? How are you refusing to rest your head on God's shoulder? You know, nowhere in the gospel did the crowds encourage Jesus to take time to rest. Perhaps no one in your life will encourage you to prioritize rest. But rest in him is what our loving father desires for us. As Isaiah says, in returning and rest, you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength.